Fun. Living the dream, you? Good. Mark, still here? Hey, buddy, we're about to go live on Facebook. Can I do the intro again? Would that be okay? I'm fine with it. As long as our WATD live people are listening and they don't mind, they get three tonight. <laughs> oh, right. you guys ready? Ready on ATD? Here goes Mark. You, can, you, you might remember what he's going to say. Here he goes. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Yay. So Yay. So for all you, you did it, Mark. What did you want to say? We are on two mediums at the same time right now. We are on Facebook Live on the Dr. Joe Show, and we are on ATD streaming live on their uh, whole platform. That's fantastic. So, Gene, it's a little bit different than WBUR, but we're still here. So, um, what can I you, wanted to talk can with you, we introduced Dr. Dr. Bresson for I, our Facebook listeners too, and the ATD listeners. We apologize. We tried our best to get them going at the same time, but it's now eight twenty, and we're uh, we're close. We're close, Dr. It, Joe. Go it's ahead. actually eight twenty six, but we're good. We're good. So, I just want to again <laughs> introduce Dr. Eugene Bresson. <laughs> who uh, is my training director for my Child and Adolescent Psychiatry Fellowship at MGH McLean. I will admit it's 1993 to 95. So we're looking at, what's that, almost, is it 25 years now? Yeah. Whoa, 25 <laughs> years ago. And Dr. Bereson really uh, has, has been an influential person in my career and my thinking, uh, but is now the, is it the executive director of the Clay Center? Yes, that's right. And you want to tell them a little bit what the Clay Center is? Oh, absolutely. The, uh, the MGH Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds is an online uh, website that provides um, uh, blogs, podcasts, and videos to support the emotional, social, and behavioral well-being of young people. It's yeah. largely geared for parents and caretakers, but actually uh, a lot of young you know, folks, uh, adolescents and college-age kids uh, are you know, tuning in and and uh, and listening to our stuff. Yeah, and, and it's great. And I, I also know that you have so many different guest authors who are writing blogs for you and all sorts of things. It's it's really terrific. How do, how do they get there, Gene? Oh, well, they contact me. <laughs> right. They, they just ask. But uh, is there a website? Yeah, yeah. The website is mghclaycenter.org. We've got about almost 400 blogs and probably about three or four seasons of podcasts and we have a YouTube channel, MGH uh, Clay Center for a whole bunch of videos uh, and um, lots of material. Yeah, it's really terrific folks. It's a great resource. And that's part of why I want to have Dr. Bresson here tonight because we're still talking about, um, you know, the coronavirus, the effect on our lives and especially on adolescents and kids who are not in school and are at home and parents have an opportunity now, I think, to, to maybe reconnect in ways that we were all moving so fast, we just didn't have the time to do it. So let's slow down and, and do it. So what I want to talk about first, and, and Mark, can you just check with Ben that we can go over our first break a little bit because we're just getting started here? Uh, so, ground control, Major Tom, Ben Nippitz, are we able to uh, just blow through the uh, WATT ad so we can keep going with Dr. Dr. Bereson here? Or should we just just take a first break right now, and then we can just go for it? Mark, what's what's our benipotent say? Are we ready for a break? Are we ready? Are we ready for a break, uh, Dr. Joe? 
I so so Dr. Baresson, my apologies, but my sponsors, even though you are my mentor from the years before, my sponsors still have enormous influence on my life today. So what we are going to do, we're going to take a quick break, and Facebook fans, stay there. WATD folks, we'll be right back. Hey, so. So, Gene, so we're yeah. actually still live on Facebook. So let's give Facebook Wait, a little. Remember, remember, remember the sign, Dr. Joe, when I, when I go like this, I want to I wanna interrupt you. I'm, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Okay. Where can you find the podcast? Remember, I sent you a little chat here, too. See that? Where can we find the podcast? Hey, guys, Facebook Live. We're going to keep going, but we may have to repeat some of the stuff for the radio, too. Okay, Dr. Joe? That's fine with me. So, Gene, where do we find the podcast? Oh, the podcasts are all uh, on the web on the web uh, page, uh, and uh, you can also get them uh, through the YouTube channel. Actually, we got podcasts on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Tuned In, on SoundCloud. Uh, so you just go. The, po- the name of the podcast is called "Shrinking It Down." Mental <laughs> I health, love it. Mental uh, health made simple. <laughs> that is great. Shrinking it down, mental health made simple. I, I want to also just give a shout out because uh, Dr. Baresin was um, part of a band that used to play. Was, at, is. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's still, <laughs> I, I, because I didn't know it was still existing. Is it still in existence? Absolutely. Yeah. You want to tell them, tell them a bit about all, that? We're playing all these canceled events. Uh, <laughs> no, we are Pink Freud. And the transitional <laughs> objects, and we play at national meetings, and we play at uh, weddings and bar mitzvahs. Anything you want, we'll just we'll you you let us play, and we'll we'll just play. Yeah, isn't that great? Pink Freud and the transitional objects. It's nice. a very shrinky kind of joke, and I love it. We're all child psychiatrists. No matter three or four people are graduates like you. That's right. That's us. And so uh, I'm getting a signal from Mark. Was this? Five fingers, so ten fingers, so I'm not meant to talk at all. We're going five seconds. We're going live five. And we are back with the Dr. Joe show on WATD and streaming live on all platforms that WATD does. But we're also here with Facebook Live. And we didn't take a break. So Facebook Live, we're gonna pick up WATD. Here we go. Dr. Joe show live. So, uh, very nice, Mark. So, Dr. Baresin, let's, let's talk a little bit about what do you think may be going on with the kids who are out of school at home right now? What about the possibility that they may get sort of depressed? I think, I think they will at some point. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of different kinds of depression. I mean, uh, right now it's a novel situation. They have tons of time. They're, you know, doing relaxing they're playing video games they're you know watching tv they're binge watching on netflix i mean all the kids that i've talked with but you know there's also the foma phenomena you know fear of missing out and uh uh this is a time when i think digital media actually uh is to the benefit of kids you know we all worry about digital media and the downsides of, of social media but um kids are using all sorts of digital media. They're using Instagram, they're using Snapchat, they're using, uh, uh, they're texting, they're using Facebook. Uh, and it's, it's an important way for them to stay connected. It, I think it's, it's actually gonna uh, help them, help prevent depression the more they can stay connected. 
Absolutely. And this is this is absolutely part of why we are doing uh, so many of the Dr. Joe shows as well, because we are desperately trying to keep our audience connected as well in this time of potential isolation. Um, how can parents help their kids also to, to thwart off depression when maybe they... Yeah. So, so here's the thing. I mean, number one is that, um, par- you know, uh, parents need to control their own anxiety. A lot of times kids will get depressed or anxious when they see their parents worrying and we're all freaking out. I don't know one parent that isn't worried to death. Um, uh, and, and, and so parents need to control their own anxiety. So that means monitor your anxiety, limit the news that you're watching, get enough information so that you're well, up to date, but turn off the, the, the TVs and the smartphones and the computers. Um, do the things that help you relieve anxiety, exercise, get enough sleep, meditate, do yoga, listen to music, uh, because your ability to help your kids is going to be best if you are calm and in control and your kids will pick up on it. And if they do, you got to be honest and say, yeah, I'm worried. And what are you worried about? So that's number one. Then the second thing they need to do is don't assume that you know what your kids know. Uh, I would ask them, Mm -hmm. uh, what have you learned about Corona? What are you worried about? Where have you learned about it? You have any questions for me? You have conversations. And this is for kids at different developmental levels. So for preschoolers, you're not going to ask them these questions. You're basically going to kind of play games with them and turn off all the media. But for school-age kids and teenagers and young adults, I think having conversations and asking what what they know, what they're worried about, and what they're feeling is a really good place to start because then you can address their concerns and fend off emotional disturbances. Mm-hmm. So really meet your child where they are. Yes. Yeah. And see what they need. They may need, they may need reassurance. They may need comforting. They may need to be left alone. You know, it, it really is important for you to check in with them and, um, uh, and attend to their needs. And all kids, as parents know, you're the expert on your kids. You know, a shy kid, an aggressive kid. This is where the biology of your I am thing comes in, Joe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you right. got because there are going to be kids who are going to be impulsive, and their kids are going to be angry and aggressive, and their kids are going to be withdrawn and shut down. And parents are going to have to improvise. You know, improvise and um, address the kids in a way that they can hear, hear the parent and be seen and be known. Yeah, it's, it's so true. And it is, as, as, as Gina's saying, every one of those is an I am. Every one of them is that current maximum potential, but you have to understand the influences of the home domain, the social domain, the biological and the I see, how I see myself, how I think other people see me. And I think this is really, really great advice and part of what we can do for our kids. It's much more interesting to wonder where your kid is at than just to worry. And I could not agree more with Eugene. I say to my patients all the time, don't let anybody tell you parents that you are not the expert in your kid. Right. You're the expert. People like Dr. Barres and I, we're just the professionals, but the most important person is the kid. So let's really tune in and listen. So are there warning signs that parents should look for just in general for depression? I mean, not, yeah. not just confined to COVID. 
Right. And, and again, you know, there's clinical depression uh, and the kids who have had histories of depression are more prone to that. But, you know, if you see your kids, so what are the signs of depression? You know, um, you see a change in mood. And for kids, it's usually not sadness and hand wringing like adults. It's more of irritability and, you know, uh, crabbiness. Um, so uh, their sleep may be impaired, their appetite, they may be eating more or less. Um, their concentration may be diminished. They may be more withdrawn uh, or more aggressive. I mean, it can go either way with your kids. Um, uh, they may, uh, you'll see in general, a behavioral change that's different from prior to this onset. And um, if you notice a behavioral change, it may, it may mean that they're, that they're depressed. Uh, so you have to ask um, and you have to ask how they're feeling and let them tell you. Yeah, I think a lot of parents get afraid to ask, uh, in part because they don't either don't want to hear what their kid has to say, or they don't know how to manage it once they hear it. Right. So, I mean, it, it, it never hurts to ask. I mean, even even if it, you know, even questions about suicide. I mean, so the, the myth is is that if you ask a question, have you thought about just kind of like ending it all? And look, you know, for some kids, who, for example, a senior in high school that is losing out on the prom playing varsity sports and, and, their, and their games are canceled um, and they're gonna to go to college or they're gonna to go to work and this is their last hurrah, it could be like the end of the world because teenagers, you know, the brain doesn't mature until 26. So for the 17, 18 year old, they're still in an early form of, of their brain formation and they're acting largely on impulse. And for them, it may feel like the end of the world so to say to them, to ask them, you know, are you feeling so bad that you're not going to be playing in lacrosse championships or in the baseball? You know, you're not going to pitch, you know, you're for the final game in, you know, of the series. Um, are you feeling so bad that you've thought of hurting yourself? The myth is, is that you don't ask that question because you're going to put a seed in their mind and then they will do it. It's actually, if a kid is feeling helpless, hopeless, and like throwing in the towel, even though they may not do anything, asking about it is a relief because they want to talk about it. And that really is one of the keys that parents need to know is their kid does want to talk about it. Even that kid who, who may be sequestering themselves, isolating in their room, you know, you knock on the door. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and be available. I mean, you, you want them to know that you're available for any kind of questions and that you're going to respond to them in a non-judgmental way. And you're not gonna necessarily tell them what to do. I mean, you know, as I tell my, my parents and kids when I see them as families, I said, this is not a democracy <laughs> because the parents have to make the decisions and the kids rely on their parents for decisions. But at the same time, they rely on their parents to check in with them and to ask them how they're doing and to just listen. Kind of like one of my favorite supervisors um, who passed a while ago, um, she said uh, to me many times, um, don't just do something, sit there. <laughs> mm. and, and, and parents need to be able to kind of just sit and listen and let their kids talk. I'm listening right now, <laughs> I'm listening. 
Well, it's, that, it's, that, it's also that theory of mind part of your I am approach, Dr. Joe, where you think you know what they're thinking, right? You think you know what they're thinking and how could you possibly know what they're thinking? Right. There is only one way to know. You ask them. Right. You ask them. Right. So depression is one of the things we're speaking about. Uh, what about anxiety? Oh, well, anxiety is, is just, it's probably more important in this situation than depression. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, you know, anxiety, the root of anxiety is, you know, the fight or flight response, you know, where we get ready to survive or, you know, in one way or another. Um, and um, uh, we're all triggered in that way. So uh, anxiety is not a bad thing. Anxiety puts us in a state of preparedness and actually a little bit of anxiety keys us up and helps us get ready to perform well. I mean, right. the actor, the singer, the, uh, the, 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 the sports person, they, they will perform worse if they're not a little keyed up and anxious. It's when you reach a too much of anxiety and it peaks that your performance goes down. So a little bit of anxiety, it's okay. But um, we wanna be sure that our kids aren't so anxious that they become uh, paralyzed with fear uh, and that causes them to uh, either shut down or to, you know, lose this, lose sleep, um, to uh, to feel threatened, um, uh, and to um, not 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 function, uh, you know, in in their academics because they're doing stuff online, or not function with their friends to kind of uh, to freeze up. Yeah, and and again. This is what Gene was talking about earlier. If the parents are anxious, their kids are going to recognize that. And this gets into, again, you know, the IC domain, wondering how other people are, but also mirror neurons that we've spoken about on the Dr. Cho show before. You know, you mirror other people's emotions. So with all of this potential for anxiety, I think, as you say, it, there's nothing wrong with anxiety. It's what you do with it. Exactly. And so one of the things kids and, and all of us need for anxiety is support. So social support. So, you know, um, talking with family members on FaceTime. My daughter called me tonight with my granddaughter. You know, mm. uh, they were anxious uh, and so was I. But when we connected, it relieved that anxiety. So getting support from friends, from family, from uh, spiritual leaders, mentors, friends is really important in, in terms of containing it. Um, and also uh, providing reassurance. I mean, you know, I mean, we can't, you know, just like Yogi Berra said, you know, predictions are very hard, especially about the future. Right. So, so we, we can't predict what's going to happen. There's a lot of uncertainty. But what we can reassure our kids is that, look, uh, this is an illness that's going around. Young people are more likely to have milder cases than older people. Then, of course, they're going to be worried about you because right. you're, you're an older person. You're an older person. That's right. But, you know, but then you could say to them, what are you worried about? But they need some reassurance that uh, that there are plenty of folks around who are doing as much as we can to keep us all safe and protected. And that's why we're at home, because it's a way of keeping us and the rest of our communities safe. The other thing that helps alleviate anxiety is empowerment. If you feel paralyzed, like you can't do anything, um, you're going to get more anxious and potentially depressed. 
if you actually can do something, wipe the tables, wash your hands with each other, sing happy birthday twice for 20 seconds with your younger siblings, help your parents cook the meals, you know, uh, send out, you know, uh, emojis and, and funny YouTubes. I sent out three funny YouTubes today to friends to get them to smile, you know, uh, and, uh, one was, a, one was a poodle that was giving advice about his two-legged friends from, his, from the four-legged friends. But you know, those kinds of things that help us feel positive uh, and smile help alleviate anxiety. There's no substitute for laughter. And, and, you know, and, sending, and sending things out like that. I mean, those kinds of things lift, lift the weight, the burden. Of, of anxiety and depression from everybody. Yeah, they're, 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 go ahead, Mark. And it helped, and as we talked about on some of the earlier episodes this week, it, it helps the person who is feeling anxious to help other people not feel so anxious. Ben, are we ready to go to a break on the radio side of things? Oh okay. my gosh. Uh, are we ready to go to, Mark, is Mark taking over? Mark. I got it in the ears, buddy, I'm in the ears. Mark has, Mark has taken over because I think that he must be getting a little bit of extra cash from our sponsors. So let's do it. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Oh right. my God, you're funny. Are you on we're, break now, Ben? All right, we're, we're gonna good. We're, on we're good. We're on break. Okay. So yeah. while while we're can I just ask you guys, can I get Mark, question? Mark, get a question, and I'm just gonna just do something right here. One sec. You. It's you though, Dr. Joe. Can you guys see the chat and the Zoom when I put a note up so I don't have to interrupt? I could just write in. I note. see it. Uh, I so see. So in it. the bottom of your screen, it links chat. If you open that up when I say that, you can see rather than me jump on. Yep, I got it. You see it, Dr. Joe. In the bottom of your screen, there's a button chat on the Zoom. Yeah. Flashing. So I'm gonna send messages that way rather than interrupting if I can. Okay. okay. We're Breaking. learning every day, Facebook. We are learning every in day. Two we got minutes. Two, yeah, Facebook. just our, our Facebook fans all know this, Gene, but but we have been posting things for the last week. In part, posting trying to figure out how to do this Zoom thing. Yeah. And tonight was yet another another uh, wonderful uh, experience and education for all of us. And it is finding the humor in that. Well, also we added a whole new medium today, by the way, I've got like people talking in my head in addition to the other people talking in my head. I actually have the <laughs> talking in my head right now and he's getting ready to come back in in like two minutes, I think he said, but I'm not sure. So, right. What okay, welcome to stage management. Welcome to stage management. Whenever I hear the word medium, I, I always think about the story about the the um, the midget convict um, who escaped from jail. Do they say midget? And he was a psychic. You know that. So he was the midget psychic convict who escaped from jail. Remember that? He was a small medium at large. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. This is uh, takes so me. So luckily away. they didn't hear that on EPD. Yeah, they prefer but, they uh, prefer Dr. the term uh, little midget. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Before we go back to air, Dr. B, what do you get when you get a boomer, a Gen Xer, and a millennial all in one room? Uh, a mess. <laughs> you get the Dr. Joe show. So, which is, which is similar. 
So, right, would, so we've got some people watching on Facebook. Facebook fans, bear with us. We're just waiting for ATD to come back from break. And we don't want the, those folks to miss out on all this value that we're getting right now about. Small and we are back with the Dr. Joe show live with Dr. Eugene Bereson and Dr. Joe. Dr. Joe's mentor, Eugene Bereson, is telling us what to be doing with our teenagers while they're captive, right? How about get to know them really well and don't guess what they're thinking and talk to them. So we're going to bring it back live on ATD and Facebook right now. So we're here. We're back. So uh, about the anxiety, one of the first things that I learned from you guys at MGH McLean was never worry alone. Right. And, so and it is something that I want everybody to know about right now while you are at home never worry alone and in part that's what is amazing about social media so the social media has both enhanced and increased our knowledge of corona maybe it's it's sensationalized it in some ways but for those folks who were listening on atd you got a chance to hear a song of mine from one of my musicals, which I wrote years ago about Semmelweis, the guy who discovered that you needed to wash your hands and no one believed him. And so the opening of act two was that song that you may have heard sung by Ray O'Hare, who was singing it way back when we were performing up here in Boston and it was called Semmelwash because people didn't believe him. And I want people to know that science is real and this is real. And one way that you can save somebody else's life is by washing your hands. This is part of what we're doing together. But Gene, you and I were talking offline a bit about the herd thing. And do you want to just say a little bit about, about your take on this? Well, I mean, look, let's, let's uh, face it. Uh, to, you know, to, the, the scary thing is, is that for, for this virus to go away, we need to develop herd immunity. And what herd immunity means about 60, about two thirds of the population, 60% or more have to get infected so that they can develop the immunity. And that, that quantity eliminates the hosts that the viruses can actually live and thrive in. Either that or develop a vaccine. Now a vaccine is, is realistically 18 months away, no matter what people say. Um, and even with a vaccine, we know with the flu vaccine, for example, you know, it, it's hit or miss. I mean, sometimes it's effective and sometimes it's not so effective. So um, I think all of us need to, you know, be prepared that we're going to, we're going to catch it. Now, the good news is, is that 80% of, you know, cases are on the milder side, uh, even for older people. Um, so, uh, but uh, with that said, what we want to do, the reason two people talk about flattening the curve is we want to spread out the time that people will actually get this, get like a cold because a coronavirus is a, is a very severe cold. Um, and that will build the immunity and that will, that will help it go away. Uh, and, uh, uh, so, you know, be prepared, you know, and, uh, in time, we're also going to learn a lot more about how to stop the serious side effects. I mean, they're looking at things that people have pneumonia. So they're looking at chloroquine, which is a malarial drug. They're looking at various other things that help people that have severe cases. Um, and, um, you know, uh, we've got a lot of people working 24-7 
trying to study what can actually th make things better. And so the longer we stretch this out, when we do get it, there'll be a lot more ways of helping uh, to take care of us and for us to take care of ourselves. Right. So, so let me just clarify what, what appears to be uh, sort of a, a contradiction by saying we need to have enough people in our community to catch it for us to have this thing called a herd immunity, H-E-R-D, not I've heard of an immunity, but herd immunity. And, and yet we're being asked to isolate. Right. So how, how, do we, how do we sort of manage the paradox? And it's yep. what, what Gina is saying is that if too many people get this at the same time, it's gonna overwhelm our healthcare. So it's sort of weird, but, but we want just a few people to get it. Right. Uh, but then we want most people to get it. We want most, we want, well, to get rid of the virus short of a vaccine, we want most people to get it but not all um, at the same time. Exactly. That's why they say flatten the curve. When they say right. flatten the curve, what that means is if you, if you, if you don't have a big peak, <laughs> if you spread it out over a long period of time, then you allow the hospitals and the first responders and the doctors and the nurses to actually take care of it. And when the doctors who've gotten it and tested positive get over it and they come back, those folks are gonna be more capable of taking care of sick people because they've got the immunity. So what we really wanna do is have a gradual exposure uh, and we don't wanna enforce an exposure, but the more gradual the exposure is, the more people we have known to be immune and then those people can be recycled and come back and take care of sick folks and uh, we're, spreading it, we're spreading it out. Right. Yep. So we've got we've got about five minutes left tonight. Um, I want to just touch real quick, although it's not a quick subject, on adolescent substance use, because I know that that's also an area of interest. And we have spoken a bit about this, the vulnerable adolescent brain, what can parents do? And I know that, that you and I have, have maybe some disagreement on whether kids are going to be using or not. So let's talk about that for the last few minutes. What well, do you think? I think I think, look, not just kids using, adults using. Mm. I mean, there's been this stuff in the news around Boston about keeping the recreational marijuana sites open. Interestingly, the liquor stores have stayed open. Now, all the other businesses are closed. Why are the liquor stores open? Okay. Alcohol dependency, right? <laughs> well, because alcohol is a very good anti-anxiety medication. However, when done in excess, it's very significant it impairs the immune system and it goes away it, it, it's eliminated from the body in four to six hours so you get this rebound of anxiety and then you drink more so substances are a way that people forever have used to help calm themselves down but that being said it's not as effective as other things so meditation exercise yoga as opposed to substances are much more helpful because they, they don't create the kind of problems that alcohol or uh, THC or other medications uh, do. Yeah, and, and, and my concern is that we're gonna have all these kids who are bored or potentially depressed or anxious or angry that they're not able to go to the prom, they're not able to play the sports, all the things that we spoke about. And even though they may never have used before, 
they may find something in the cabinet and say, right. well, you've got nothing else to do. I might as well do this. What do you think, Gene? How, how do we help parents manage that one? Well, I think, I think uh, parents need to be aware that, uh, first of all, I think parents should keep medications out of the, out of the bathroom cabinet. <laughs> you know, I mean, medications uh, should be kept in secure places and out of the reach of anybody, especially kids and, and adolescents who might want to just try something. Um, uh, I think, but also talking with your kids. You know, I mean, again, you know, if you don't say anything, if you don't say to them, look, you may be tempted to take something or smoke something or vape something or use something to help you ease, ease up. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what it does. Let's talk about what the consequences are. Let's talk about what you might be considering um, because open conversations and not just kids, censorship and prohibition have never worked and they don't work with kids. If you prohibit something, they're gonna test it out. So just have conversations and acknowledge the fact that uh, to alleviate stress, they may be tempted and then eliminate the temptation. Agreed. And I want people to recognize that, that Dr. Bereson said, speak with your kids, not to them. Right. Speak with them. Jim, we've got, we've got about a minute and a half left. We ask all our guests this. The, the IM has two rules. The first is small changes can have big effects. What small change can you suggest to parents uh, that can have a big effect right now on their kids? Uh, I would say... Um... Do, this, do a few small things that can help you put the oxygen mask on yourself first. <laughs> Just a few things to take care of. You can't take care of the person next to you, your kids, unless you take care of yourself. Do a few small things for yourself every day that we, whether it's taking a walk or whatever to take care of yourself. That's great. Second rules, you control no one, you influence everyone. What kind of influence are you hoping to be, Dr. Bereson? I would say parents need to practice, to remember that the kids are watching um, uh, and, and, and their role models and their behavior, talking to a friend, getting support, talking to a relative, talking to their parents, saying, what would you advise me to do is a modeling for the kids about conversations and narratives that help us learn from and take advice from each other. Wonderful. Good night, ATD. Say good night, but Facebook Live, we're going to stay going for a little extra bonus. Those on ATD who are hearing this, come on Facebook, Facebook Live with the Dr. Joe Show. Everybody else, thanks so much. We'll be here next week on ATD. Stay tuned. We do it, Ben? We got it. All right, we're off ATD and we're Facebook only. By the way, guys, massive amount of anxiety for me putting together two <laughs> shows, shows of, uh, but you did. did you did you it. See the, chat, the last one when we tried to count it down from time left, Dr. Joe, I'm going to ask one favor as we keep going, because hopefully Dr. B will stay here with our Facebook live because there's a lot of really good stuff going on. Yep. Yeah. Um, but I sure. put the chat room up right in the middle. So it's just there in between the four of us right now. So that way we can. Okay, cool. Go ahead. Let's go back with Dr. Joe live on Facebook. It's great. So yeah, so here's some bonus stuff for folks. So Jim, what, what what do you think about this whole thing? I mean, it is, we've been talking on the Dr. Joe show about 
anxiety. We talk about the four R's, recognize, rate, remember, reflect, you know, basic cognitive behavioral therapy, recognize you're anxious, rate it between one and 10, remember it gets less, and then reflect. What was I thinking that made me anxious to begin with and then come up with an opposite thought? Absolute look at the fight flight response and you know how limbic we can get and putting your hand on your forehead and remember to keep it frontal, don't go limbic. So all these things that we've spoken about. Are we still on? We still are. I'd love to hear a little bit about the herd theory again to recap for the live people that are just joining now too. How about that? Let's talk about that. The herd idea. Let's talk about that. Jane? So, so, so what we know about eliminating viruses, viruses require, uh, they're parasites and they require a host. That means some body, some human being to live in. Um, and, um, and as long as they have people who are not immune, they're going to continue to propagate and uh, go from one person to another. When you have enough people in yeah. our herd, H-E-R-D, because <laughs> we're pack animals, human beings, mm-hmm. um, uh, when, when you have enough people who have, who have been exposed and are immune, then the virus has less of a population to invade, to infect, and it dies out. And that's what eliminates the virus. And it usually takes about 60% or two-thirds of the population to have it become immune for the virus to not have enough people left to actually thrive. Uh, so what will likely happen short of a vaccine, because a vaccine is kind of giving you immunity artificially, uh, the time it takes for us to have 60% of the population exposed is about what it's gonna take to eliminate this virus. Now, the reason we're in isolation is because we wanna spread that curve out. Because if if we can only have a small number of people at a time getting it and becoming immune, it does a number of things. One is it doesn't overload the healthcare system, which is gonna be completely swamped. Number two, the people who get it early and are tested, that's why testing is so important. If you know that you've had it and then you're realistically or hopefully immune, then you can be recycled back and you can take care of people who are sick and not get infected. So it's a matter of working with our population. We've never done this before. This is, this is brand new. We are, we are doing a controlled experiment, hopefully controlled, in which we're actually trying to figure out how we gradually let a number of people become exposed, infected, and then recycle them to become the new first responders while those who are ill you know, take a break. Um, and um, that's gonna take a number of months. It's not gonna be a, a, a quick fix. And we don't want it to be a quick, a quick job because that will peak and it'll overwhelm the system. Right, I mean, I want people to think about what does 60% of 300 plus million people mean? I mean, this is a huge number. We don't have the, the hospital beds, the facilities to care for that many people all at once. Over time we do, and we can help by taking care of each other. This is part of being a social animal and this is part of right. why we, we really need to listen. This, you know, Semmelweis had it right and no one believed him then. Let's not make that same mistake again. Yeah. Can I, I, I t- a question, Dr. Joe? I, I, just for clarity, Dr. Barrison, you said the testing is very important. And, yes. I, and I understand that. But my understanding was that when you're tested, you're being tested whether you have it at that moment in time. Right. Did you That's say right. that 
can actually test it and sit and find out that you had it in the past and you're now in I, I don't believe I don't no I don't believe you, you the testing is, is is really only when you have it so I think what we need to do is when people are symptomatic uh, uh, when they have a cough when they have a fever when they have a sore throat they should be tested if you test positive then you know that you're one of the people who will go through whatever you're going through with the illness and then potentially be immune so that you could go back out and help others. Um, so testing people when it's over, I mean, I, that's going to require uh, means that we just can't do. I mean, you're going to have to look at their plasma and their antibody levels. And that's, that's, that's too much to, to impose on the population. But are you saying that if they are tested positive at one point in time they're immune and they can't get it a second time well we don't, we don't know for sure we don't know for sure i mean what 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 most of the experts are saying is if this coronavirus which is which is very it's the same virus it's a different strain but it produces the common cold and for each strain of a virus that we know of um in this category there has been shown to be immunity now we don't know whether this particular strain but um once we, if we assume that that's the case, and if scientists find out that it does in fact produce immunity by looking at the blood, the plasma of people who have had it and they see that they're antibodies, then we know that that's going to take a little bit of time to actually know whether immunity develops. So, but there's been enough people that have had it that they can start testing plasma and such, right? Absolutely, they absolutely can. But it takes and, a while to determine. And in, and, in, and in fact, one of the one of the treatments that's been used in China and then now is starting in this country is using the plasma of individuals who've had it, who have the antibodies, to give that to people who are sick, and that helps them fight the illness. Because they're they're getting an influx of the antibody, not the actual virus. That's right. Because what happens? So for people that don't know what an antibody is, the virus. Uh, is the uh, the antigen? It's a, the technically it's the virus comes in, and the, the immune system produces antibodies or proteins that actually attach to that virus and try to get rid of it. Um, the more antibodies that are available, the more the body is able to eliminate, isolate the virus. And once the virus is all gone, the antibodies remain in the system. And that prevents you from getting infected again. And those, and those same antibodies could potentially be used in other individuals to help them fight the illness. So how quickly can they figure this out? I don't, I don't think anybody really knows that yet, Mark, because we're, we're still in the early days. But, but just to, to bring it back to an IM, this is still an IM, folks. This is what the IM idea is about, is that we are always adapting to these four domains and that it's not about whether you're sick and broken whether there's a pathology whether there's an illness what really is happening is your biological domain is responding to the im of something else in this case the coronavirus the coronavirus has its own im it comes in and invades your home domain of your biological domain of your body and tries to take it over and when it does that your body says wait a second my place in my place. And it creates, as Gene says, these antibodies, these things that are chemicals that we produce that fight off that infection. And then what's cool about our body is we remember them. 
we remember those ways to fight that infection. So the next time that virus comes in with its own IM and tries to invade our biological domain of our home, our body says, nah, nah, we're gonna do this a lot quicker. Boom, and we produce these antibodies and it just fights it off right away. So it can't get to that point where we necessarily feel sick. We're just fighting without even realizing it. Pretty much right, Gene? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So are you suggesting people test before they even start feeling symptomatic then because they might be and they can... Well, well, that's a very good point because what, what we know is is that if you're exposed, the incubation period or the time that the virus is producing and reproducing itself is about five and a half days and about from the time of exposure. And it takes about 11 and a half days for you to get symptoms. Between that five and a half days and 11 and a half days or about a week, you could potentially be transmitting that virus. You're not, you don't have symptoms. If you've been exposed, that's one of the criteria for getting tested. So if you're testing, if you've been exposed to someone that has tested positive, you get a test. And if you're positive, then you go into isolation and, and, and until you've recovered. On the other hand, if you're symptomatic, if you've got a cough or a fever uh, or a sore throat, you can get tested then and then we'll also know. So there's two times to test. One is when, you, when you're before symptoms, but exposed to somebody. And the second one is when you actually have symptoms. So how do you suggest folks, because this is what I'm starting to see is the leper co- colony, right? So there's the folks that are, oh, I just had pneumonia. I mean, uh, keep it on the down low. What should people be doing if they are infected diagnosed infected to let everybody know in their world, maybe they weren't locked down in quarantine for the last 14 days because they got it somehow. They weren't outside their, they went outside their house and got it or it came into their house or what have you. What are you suggesting people do to tell their community, hey, I was at that party where that lady turned 40 in Connecticut and I need to let all of you know, shelter down because we're about to spread it further. We're going to get it, but we're going to spread it further. So let's shut it down now. What, without them saying, sorry, I'm, I'm, you know, patient zero. It was my fault. Uh, don't be mad at me. It wasn't my fault. And please don't sue me. How do you do that? Well, you just tell them, look, first of all, this is not a matter of suing. It's a matter of, it's a matter of just letting people know uh, that I was exposed and that we, we were in contact with each other. So you're at risk. I mean, the fact is, is that when one person gets it, they're going to infect two to three other people. That's what, that, that's what uh, happens. How did that go down when the AIDS epidemic came? Well, it was, <laughs> at first, it was, uh, it was horrible because people were casting blame. They were blaming. And then, you know, and then as, when people learned more about HIV, and about exposure, uh, they started kind of like uh, accepting the fact that people could say, look, I have HIV, which means we have to take precautions. So, uh, you know, I think you're raising a really good point and that is blame, you know, when, when there's an adverse situation, the first thing, well, not the first thing, but one thing that some people will do, I won't name names, is cast blame, causing, calling this the Chinese virus is really blaming the victims. I mean, let's, the pangolins three million years ago had coronavirus. 
you know, there's been studies to show have that. We have we determined exactly where? <laughs> wait, wait a second. No, but, but before we get onto where it comes from, let let Jean finish because this is in a really important part because it gets to the core of stigma. Okay. So it, it it doesn't matter where illnesses come from. They may come from birds. They may come from bats. They may come from pangolins. You know, in ancient ancient history, um, the fact of the matter is, is that we are surrounded and embedded in all kinds of bacteria funguses, you know, in our micro, and, and some of them are really helpful to us. If we didn't have these bugs in our gut, we would be in bad shape. Right. So for better or worse, we are living in a world of bacteria, viruses, and all kinds of things. Some are pathological and cause disease, and some are probiotics and cause uh, health. So casting blame is like saying, you know, I'm blaming, you know, uh, the jet stream for bringing the cold or bringing the warmth. It's not a matter of blame. It's a matter of uh, understanding that these things happen. And when they do, we have to rally together to actually kind of meet the, the need and meet the danger. And I, and I think that there's a difference between blame and responsibility. And what happens is the person who says, look, I've been exposed rather than not saying it because they fear they'll be blamed and be, and be somehow ostracized like a leper. What they do is take responsibility right? and say, I'm doing this because I don't want to hurt anybody else. That is heroic. There right. is nothing, nothing that should be stigmatized about that. No. But it's hard to be a hero, Dr. Joe. It's hard to be a hero, right? So people are going and, and laying low. Like I'm hearing rumblings that, that somebody may have been um, infected or somebody may have been tested positive, but it's like, keep it on the down low though. And it's like, what? Yeah. They're not listening to the science then, right? But this is, again, gets to the IC domain and you know how do people see me? And this is part of what, we're trying to do in the Dr. Joe show, but also using this coronavirus as a way to show that we have more in common than separates us. Yeah, and look, I mean, if somebody says, I've been, ex I, I've been exposed, I may have this, what that should stimulate in somebody else is how can I help you? Right. right. What, can I, what can I do to bring you food and leave it outside so that you don't have to go out to the supermarket and expose right. somebody else? I will bring you food for two weeks and I will put it on your porch or I will put it on the sidewalk or, you know, so instead of feeling I'm the leper, I'm the, the demon that's going to be kind of transmitting this thing, the response should be, you're the person who's ill and I need to help take care of you. Yes. Yes. Let's, let's stimulate that compassion in us because we have the ability, we're a social animal. Right. We can't be a social animal unless we take care of each other. And, and enough of this blame and, and ostracizing. And, and again, it's, it's an opportunity. I, I wanna remind people that these viruses, you know, it's, it's strategic from a virus point of view to not present with symptoms for days. That's its strategy. I'm going to I'm going to be very quiet. That gives me an opportunity to go from one person to another before anybody has any idea. Well, we can't do the same thing as human beings. We don't want to adopt that strategy. We don't want to like 
be subversive and, and go around quietly infecting other people because we're afraid that people will will shun us. So that's why this, you know, this idea that we're all isolating ourselves is a really interesting thing because at least in our America, it's it's just not the culture. The culture isn't to stay alone and contained. We so like I think, but I think your point, Joe, is really well taken. We, we have to reframe isolation as uh, not, not getting sick. I mean, we can't, because being in isolation is not a way to kind of like protect yourself from getting sick forever, for as long as this thing lasts. What it is, is it's helping to contain the peak of this virus and spread it out. Right, you know, and and uh, and and continually doing that, you know. A, a, another another reframing is we talk about social distancing. I hate that. Me too. It's Me physical, too. It's physical distancing. Distancing. No, you know what? We we, <laughs> we we have our own phrase. Our phrase is polite nearness. <laughs> polite nearness. <laughs> right? Well, you know, it's it's kind of like the story of the the two porcupines. That yeah. this uh, Schopenhauer this famous philosopher uh, told this story. And it was like this herd of porcupines is out in the winter in the cold and two porcupines are walking together. And they know that if they can get close enough together, they can keep themselves warm enough to fend off the cold. But if they get too close, they prick each other. So then they move away, but then they get too cold. Then they move closer to each other. So they find the optimal distance to stay close, but not prick each other. That's what we're doing here. <laughs> we're yeah. finding the optimal way to kind of like live together, together in isolation at times, getting back into society and being flexible so that we're all protected. And, and again, that's, that's the opportunity, the opportunity that we have to spend some time with each other instead of rushing by. Because man, I, I can tell you, you know, I must admit, part of why I moved down here to the South Shore was because things were moving too fast. I remember my, my eldest daughter, Sophie, was 10 years old and we were walking around. I was, I was working real hard up in the Boston area and I'm walking along and I say to my daughter, Sophie, life's going too fast. I got to slow down. And my 10-year-old squeezed my hand and looked at me and she said, me too, dad. You know, just spending a little more time with each other. What's wrong with that? Today, my 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 son Galen calls me outside, um, politely near, and and he spent the last few days making a marble pinball machine. So he's he's banged all these things together. He says, "Come on, come on, let's play." It was so much fun. We take two marbles. One's a red one. One's a blue one. We pick. He puts them in. They come traveling down, and we just see who wins. That joy of just being able to spend that time with my son who had taken his time to make this silly toy. Folks, that's, that's what we can offer each other right now. We can offer this, this joy of just having some fun being together. And I can't help wondering, and I, you know, maybe this, maybe this is sort of nuts, but you know, maybe nature is telling us something too. Maybe nature is saying, you know, slow down, slow down. Let's, let's just, let's 
really take care of our planet. Let's take care of each other. Well, you know? I think, I think, um, I think, uh, Joe, what you're saying is, is that um, as as horrible as this may seem to everybody, there's a lot we can learn from this. We can learn one how to do telepsychiatry and telemedicine and use the platform to kind of make access to care better. We can, we're learning how to do this with Zoom. We can learn how to work together as a society and help each other and not be solo pilots or, or a siloed. We can learn you know, how to look at, um, uh, at, at, at what potentially climate change uh, is doing. We can yes. look at our. We can look at resources. I mean, we're short on masks. We're short on personal protective equipment. We're short on vaccines. We need to learn that maybe we need to stockpile or produce some things to be prepared for these kinds of situations in the future, so that we're ahead of the game. So, as as awful as this seems, and as apocalyptic as it may feel like, you know, because we've never been through this before, let's look at what we can learn from this and take that away from the situation so that when this thing is over, we will kind of maintain a new, a new normal. Yeah, yeah. Again, one of my phrases, let's wonder instead of worry and let's be reflective instead of reflexive. And for me, the, the idea that we're doing Zoom all the time is like taking me back to the early 1970s. That, that picture right above my shoulder that is me on Zoom, 1972. I love it. And so, when I, so, and I'm seeing all this stuff on Facebook now, people posting, you know, all this Zoom stuff, the, the theme song's just going through my head all the time. You know? <laughs> it's lovely. I've, I've met so many new people on Facebook because people who know me say, have you seen this post? You know, it's like, it's hilarious. So yeah, so we are all in this together um, and we can do this. It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. Gene, thanks so much for sure. coming on and, and for being willing to stay over and for tolerating all of our our silliness and, and unzooming. Technical difficulties. <laughs> Technical difficulties, but we did it. We did yeah, it. And I really appreciate it. I learned a lot tonight. I can't wait to tell my communities tomorrow. I mean, we do a lot of Facebook lives and different avenues in business. And to be able to come out and say, you know, I heard about it. You know, if you guys are are even close, please let everybody know. So, you know, don't hide. Cause I know people are hiding. They're feeling yeah. the, the, the patient zero mentality, the leper, oh no, not me. And, but I just thought I wrote down a note too when you were saying drop stuff off. We had a, um, a 5K where Dr. Joe and I were in a board in a local board and they canceled it, but we were a sponsor and we have like boxes of Gatorade. So we're, go. we're gonna let the community know, hey, listen, I know you dehydrate and let us know. We'll drop it off on your door. Just just send us a note with the address with a case of Gatorade on your front door. And the other thing I might say before we sign off is for, for people to kind of look, come to the Clay Center site um, and look at the resources that we have. We have a whole page of resources around uh, the corona situation, but we also have lots of tools for uh, self-care and resilience and, um, uh, you know, uh, let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's use the stuff that's out there, not just the clay center. There are plenty of places, but um, I can guarantee that the stuff that we have will, will help some people. So for the Facebook folks, uh, Gene, you want to just, just say, we'll, we'll post it again, but 
people are listening live, how do they get to the Well, if you go to the if you go to www.mghclaycenter.org, that's our webpage. Um, and uh, you can get the podcasts, uh, Shrinking It Down, Mental Health Made Simple on iTunes, Stitcher, Tuned In, SoundCloud, uh, and, and probably others, um, uh, Spotify. Uh, and um, we have a YouTube channel. Uh, if you go to MGH Clay Center on YouTube, you can see a whole bunch of uh, cool videos and uh, uh, other, other video podcasts. So there's a lot of material um, you, you know, you can use the search engine on the web page to kind of find out a topic that you're interested in. And, um, uh, you know, it's, it's all, and it's all free. Right. No so subscriptions. What's the, what's the platform for the podcast? Is it interview format? Is it solo podcast? What can, what can the listeners expect when they, they can expect? Well, they most uh, they're uh, uh, Steve Schlossman, who is, uh, 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 an old friend and, uh, uh, another psychiatrist, child psychiatrist and I basically co-host the podcasts. Sometimes it's just the two of us. To, and Ellen Broughton is our other uh, co-director. She's a neuropsychologist. So um, either Dr. Schlossman, Steve Schlossman and me, or Ellen Broughton and me will be either talking with each other. And we have a number of them where we bring in expert guests and we talk about all kinds of things. So, um, and the way you'll know the podcast is that it's clearly marked out on the web, on the web, on the website, whether there's a podcast or there's a video, uh, besides the blogs for people to look at or listen to. It's great. Awesome. Dr. Brisson, thanks so much. Tom, you've been real quiet today, but I'm really glad that you're there. Thank you. <laughs> Mark. All right. Facebook. We'll see us tomorrow. We're going at eight o'clock to eight 30 tomorrow. Right. Dr. Joe. We'll be there. All right. Bye now. Bye, everyone. See ya.